2. Actually, the book of Acts. It's the second book that Luke wrote. That's what I mean by Luke 2. You thought I was talking about Luke's gospel chapter 2, didn't you? But Luke, uh, the physician that writes the gospel according to Luke, is the same Gentile writer of Scripture that God chose to record for us the book of Acts. And as a New Testament church, we are very thankful for the book of Acts because it's the continuation of how the gospel spread after Christ left the world following His resurrection and then through His ascension. It didn't just stop there. And aren't we thankful tonight that the gospel continued to spread People continued to hear the good news and respond to it. And here we are tonight, nearly 2,000 years later, worshiping the same Lord through the same Lord Jesus Christ. And I think it's just a good thing for the church occasionally to take a look at different scenarios that we see play out in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 8 In just a moment, we're going to begin reading in verse 26, and I have a lengthy passage of Scripture. We'll read down through the end of the chapter, and I want to talk to you tonight about a snapshot of salvation. What does it look like when a man, woman, boy, or girl places his or her faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the grace of God intervenes in that life and that Precious one comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. You know, sprinkled throughout the New Testament, we have beautiful pictures of people coming to know Christ. I think of the woman at the well, for instance, in John's Gospel, chapter 4, and the Bible paints for us a beautiful picture of Jesus pursuing her as he went through Samaria and leading her to faith in the Lord. And then uh, I think of Zacchaeus in Luke 19. You can't forget Zacchaeus, right? Little man, wee little man, wee little man was he. Climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And what a beautiful thing happens that day as he encounters the grace of God and puts his faith in Jesus. But here in Acts chapter 8, I think you see one of the most compelling and beautiful snapshots of salvation because you see all of the elements that come into play anytime anyone comes to faith in Jesus. This is the occasion where Philip is the evangelist and he meets up with a man we refer to as the Ethiopian eunuch who had come to Jerusalem, was going back toward Africa, and there he, in a very unusual place, out on a dry, dusty road, meets up with Philip the evangelist, and Philip leads him to faith in Jesus. So let's read the story as we think about all the different things, and we see from this snapshot the elements that are involved when someone comes to faith in Jesus. Acts chapter 8, beginning in verse 26, the word of the Lord says, And the angel of the Lord 
spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, and go toward the south unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem to Gaza. Now that's interesting, isn't it? We've heard a lot about Gaza in the news over the last month or so. So this eunuch was traveling from Jerusalem, headed southwest, as it were, down to Gaza. If you've watched the news, you've noticed that one of the exit points of the Gaza Strip, where a lot of the people have left the area, has been to go out of that exit point into Egypt. And so that's exactly the way the Ethiopian eunuch was traveling after he had left Jerusalem. So he was headed down from Jerusalem to Gaza, which is desert. And it really is, by the way. I mean, that's about as deserted as any place you could imagine. Scripture says in verse 27, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot, read Isaiah, which is Isaiah, the prophet. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and come up and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter. And like a lamb dumb before his shearer, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet this? Of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught Philip, that the eunuch, or called away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more. And he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Lord, thank you for preserving your word for us down through the generations of time to the place that we can read it and study it and allow it to change our lives here in 2023. 
I pray, Father, that you would just remind us of what a beautiful thing it is when someone comes to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. God, open our minds. May our hearts receive your word for us tonight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what's in a snapshot? So many things. Are you like I am every now and then? Do you go back to that old shoebox or Rubbermaid tote or whatever you keep them in and dig through all of those snapshots from many, many years ago? Now, we have a few people in the room. They only know snapshots by looking on their phones. But for many of us, those early snapshots of our lives, they either had to be developed and you would ultimately go to the Photoshop or to Kmart or Walmart more recently and, and you would pick up your pictures unless you had the good old Polaroid. How many of you had the Polaroid camera? Many of us did. You'd take that snapshot, bzz, it'd come out and you blow on it, you'd wave it in the air a little bit, and then all of the sudden, the picture would start to emerge from that black background, and you could see it, the one you had just taken. You thought you couldn't do that until they brought out the iPhone, right? We could do that all the way back in the 70s and 80s. I remember a few years ago, we were at my mother's house and going through some of those things, and, and honestly, my boys were absolutely amazed at some of those old Polaroid pictures. They had never seen them before. Again, all they knew about is that the phone takes the picture and you can look at it immediately and even trade it back and forth when you text it or airdrop it to one another. And so we were looking at one of those old Polaroid snapshots and you can look beyond the people and see the background. You know, every picture, unless it's really, really close up, has a background. And in the background, you can see a lot of things. I remember this particular picture was taken back in the early to mid-70s. And in the background, you didn't see nice white walls like these, but it was paneling. A lot of people in their homes had that old drab paneling. Back in the day, it wasn't drab. It's what everybody had. And so the boys looked at that and said, well, what kind of wall is that? That brown wall with the lines going up and down. I had to explain that to them. It was in the backdrop, right? And then they looked at uh, the sofa. You know, there were people seated on the sofa and some standing in the back of the sofa. And they looked at the material. I don't even know what you call that material. It was kind of looped. You remember that? It was like these loops of fabric. And you could reach out and feel it. And then after the sofa had been sat on a few times, especially by uh, some of the family members that were larger than others, it would bear, you know, the indentions of those places where people would sit down regularly. And so you'd see that in the backdrop. And then when you begin to look at the front of the picture, you saw the, the big uh, set hairdos that the ladies used to wear. You remember my mother vividly going to one of her best friend's house every Friday afternoon and she'd get her hair done. 
And it was that set hairstyle. And the men had uh, those long sideburns. I guess everybody wanted to be like Elvis back then, right? And so it's just something interesting when you look at an old snapshot and, and you can just talk about culture, you can talk about the things that influenced us in those days, and it all coalesces to come together to present this amazing picture. Well, in the Bible, you find again many snapshots, word pictures, if you would, and this is one of the most vivid ones because you see swirling around this incident of salvation all of the different things that are at play, and I will pull some of those out as we trace the development of the Ethiopian eunuch as he places his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here in this snapshot of salvation. I want to say to you tonight that there are eight things. Now you're getting nervous. preacher's going to preach an eight-point message. They go quickly. There are eight things that are in common anytime anyone places his or her faith in Jesus Christ. It was true all the way back then when Philip leads this Ethiopian eunuch to faith, and it's true today. If there might would be someone in this room tonight who discovers through the leadership of the Holy Spirit that you've not placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, and if you were to trust Him for salvation tonight, these same eight things that you see in this snapshot here in Acts chapter 8 would be relevant and would be evident right here in this room as we speak. So, I want you to look at these with me, and I think... Number one, as we survey these things, they will be a blessing to us because they will remind us of what was happening in our own lives when we came to know Jesus Christ. I wish we had time for testimonies tonight. Maybe one time we can do it and just talk about when it was and how it was and what the circumstances were when we came to place our faith in Jesus. But how many of you vividly remember the moment you were saved? Wow, look at all, every hand nearly in the room raised up tonight. We remember that. I mean, it is the epic moment of our lives when we completely and radically changed. We were no longer the people we used to be, but according to the Word of God, we became brand new people, right? And so we remember what all was going on and the preacher that was preaching or the soul winner that was witnessing when we came to faith in Jesus. And so I believe as we look at this picture tonight, it will bless you by taking you back to that moment when you were saved. But I also think it will challenge us Because those of us who are now saved by grace, it is God's will for us to be the soul winners that we ought to be and take the gospel to the lives of the people who are around us. So let's take a look at these eight things in this snapshot of salvation that you see anytime someone comes to faith in Christ. The first one is the obvious one, 
And that is, anytime someone is saved, there's always a soul winner. There's always that person, that man or woman who dares to share his or her faith of the Lord Jesus. Now, who is the soul winner here in Acts chapter 8? Well, the Bible tells us in verse 26 that God is speaking through an angel to this man by the name of Philip. He's telling Philip to get up, to arise, and go down to the south on this road, as I commented earlier, that led from Jerusalem down to Gaza out there in the middle of the desert. And Scripture says in the first part of verse 27 that when God spoke to him through his angel, Philip just got up, he arose, Scripture says, and he went. So the soul winner in this particular snapshot of salvation is none other than Deacon Philip. Philip is a deacon in the Jerusalem church. Just a couple of chapters before this, in Acts chapter 6, when there was that dispute that had arisen in the church between the Hellenist and the Hebrew ladies, both feeling like one was being neglected for the other in the daily distribution of food, that was the strategic moment when God impressed the apostles to call out deacons in the church. There were seven men who were appointed to the task to serve the tables there in the church. The word deacon is not used there, but New Testament scholars, most of them agree that it's certainly the origin of the office of the deacon. And when you read that list of seven men who were called out to serve, one of those men were this man, or was this man, by the name of Philip. Now, we don't have time to go back and read earlier verses of Acts chapter 8, but if you were to go home tonight and read all of this, you would discover that Philip, being a deacon, was also an evangelist. He was a man who was committed to winning souls. As a matter of fact, before you get here to Acts 8.26, Philip is up in Samaria preaching the gospel and wonderful things are happening. There was a great response up there to the degree that the apostles who were leading the church in Jerusalem needed, they felt like, to go up and see what was going on in Samaria. So there was a great response. I would imagine that it was something like one of these great crusades that we have every now and then. And Philip, day by day, for a period of time, was preaching the gospel in Samaria, and all these people were coming to faith in the Lord Jesus. But there came this strategic moment when God said to Philip through his angel, I'm finished with you for now in Samaria, and I want you to get up and go down to this desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza because I have a divine appointment for you there. So he was preaching. Many people were accepting Christ. But can I tell you tonight that we serve a God who is interested in a great harvest, and we're thankful for that, for these great harvest events 
We were thankful a couple Sunday nights ago at the crusade where I was blessed to give a testimony that that night 86 people said that they placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, and I praise God for that. But you know what? Just as much as I praise God for those 86 that placed their faith in Jesus, I'm thankful when one person in one place comes to know Jesus. You see, we serve a God who will leave the 90 and 9 and go out and search for that one lost sheep that's astray. I don't know about you, I've told you my salvation testimony before, but I just remind you quickly that I was really alone. Now there had been a lot of soul winners in my life, Sunday school teachers, my parents, my extended family, a lot of soul winners that kept Jesus in front of me and the gospel was always present in my home and in my growing up years. But the moment when I was saved, I was a 10-year-old boy sitting alone in our den and I trusted the Lord Jesus all by myself as my mother and my sister were getting prepared to go to church on a Sunday morning. So listen, I'm thankful when a lot of people in big services come to know Jesus, but I have to tell you tonight, I'm thankful that God the Holy Spirit moves in the hearts of one at a time, regardless of whether it's a big group of people coming to Christ all at once or just that one person out there in a home or in a barn or uh, in the bush or out in the woods. I'm thankful that God deals with hearts and lives one at a time. And so that's what's happening here. The soul winner is evangelist Philip, that evidently was a gifted evangelist. And I want you to notice what happens when God told Philip to leave Samaria and go down to this unusual place. He didn't argue with the Lord. What did he do? Scripture says he just got up and he went. And as he went, he discovered that God had superintended it and there was a divine appointment between he and this Ethiopian Ethiopian eunuch. God has divine appointments for each and every one of us. I think if we just become tuned in to the Holy Spirit and listen to Him as He leads us, I, I think there are these moments where there are appointments lying out there if we just are ready to see them and to seize them, where we can meet with one person that needs a touch of God's grace to be saved. When someone comes to know the Lord, there's always the soul winner. It's Philip here. Here's the other obvious. When someone comes to know the Lord, there's always the sinner, the sinner that needs to be saved. And in this particular story... The Bible says it's this Ethiopian man. He's a servant to the Queen Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. He was her treasurer. The Bible says he was in charge of all of her treasury. He had come to Jerusalem to worship, and now he was returning back to Ethiopia. And Scripture says he's sitting there in his chariot, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet. 
Now, I told you that in a snapshot, there's a foreground and a background. Let me tell you the background of this. You might read this, and if you're not familiar with the stories of the Old Testament where you can connect the dots, you might begin to wonder why in the world would this, this, uh, this man from Ethiopia be in Jerusalem to worship God, to seek for God. Well, Scripture in the Old Testament in 1 Kings chapter 10 tells us this story about the queen of Sheba. You remember the story? 1 Kings chapter 10. Who's the king in Jerusalem? Solomon. And God made Solomon the wisest man, Scripture says, in all of the world. God was blessing Solomon with abundance and the regal kings and queens from all over the area would come and they would seek an appointment with Solomon so that they could participate in his wisdom. Well, in 1 Kings chapter 10, the queen of Sheba. Sheba was an area that encompassed back in those times a part of Egypt and then all of what would later become known as Ethiopia. And Scripture tells us that she comes to Solomon because she had heard of his fame and she sits there under Solomon, just takes in his wisdom. She blesses him with all kinds of gifts and she begins to pick up on what God was doing with his special people, Israel. And no doubt, she took those stories back with her all the way to Sheba, which is actually Ethiopia. This is very interesting. When you study church history, you find out that in one of the first movements of missions into the continent of Africa, when the missionaries got there, I want you to listen to this, they actually already found people who had faith in the Lord Jesus. They found people who already knew about Jesus Christ. People who had already placed their faith in Jesus. All the way back in the Old Testament, God was preparing this divine encounter between Philip and this man, this eunuch from Ethiopia. So he had been to Jerusalem to worship. I want you to understand that this guy was a somebody. This guy was the treasurer for Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians. You know, a lot of times in Scripture, you'll discover that God is seeking the down and out, the castaways from society, the people that, that others won't have anything to do with. But also we see these pictures that God is also reaching to those who are from a different level of society. The bottom line is this, it doesn't matter who you are or what you have, God is interested in your soul. And we need to remember that. I remember years ago, I may have told you this story before, I've told you this too, you can be like Amy, you can go like that, which means I'm repeating myself. And if you do me that way, I'll ignore you like I do her. You can go this or you can go that and then I might take notice, but... Remember years ago when I was the pastor of the First Baptist Church over in Hazard, over in the mountains, and in that church, God was moving in a wonderful way. We're seeing a lot of people come to know the Lord. Church was growing. 
But there were two men that I wanted to see saved. And in one day's time, I had the opportunity to witness to both of those men. One man was a wino that lived on the streets of Hazard. And every now and then I'd see him when I came to the office there at church in the morning. I'd stop and talk to him, try to build a relationship with him. Other people, I'm not boasting on myself, I'm just telling you this is what God told me to do. Other people would kind of ignore him and shun him. I thought, you know what? There is a soul that needs Jesus that's walking these streets right in front of the First Baptist Church, and I need to get to know this man. And also there was a wife in our church whose husband was a 35-year-old man who about a year before I became their pastor had sold coal rights in Leslie County, Kentucky for $35 million. And he was a lost man. And I was, I was trying to build a relationship with him as well. But I remember one strategic morning, and I didn't, by the way, I'll, I'll go ahead and put the pen in this balloon. I, I did not get to lead either of these men to faith in Christ. But I remember one particular day, I stopped that morning, I spoke to the man that lived out on the streets, and I just began to witness to him, and he was under conviction. When you ever share with somebody the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know when the Holy Spirit is operative. You know when the Holy Spirit is at work. You can see and sense conviction. And that man was under conviction, but you know what he told me? He said, Alan, thank you so much for sharing with me today, but I'm not ready to lay my sin aside and choose the Lord Jesus. That afternoon, I shared with that very wealthy young man. And you know what? He nearly told me the very same thing. He said, Alan, thank you again for sharing with me today, but I'm not ready to place my faith in Jesus. I simply tell you that to say this. Both men needed Jesus. You see, sin is the great equalizer in our lives. Sin is the problem each and every one of us have in common. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Romans 6.23, the Bible says that the wages or the earnings of sin is death. What does that mean? That means regardless of who you are, what you have, how little you have, you need Jesus. And this Ethiopian eunuch, he wasn't like the woman at the well who didn't have very much because of the lifestyle choices she had made. He wasn't like her. This was an upper crust man. This was an official. This man was the treasurer for a whole nation. But here's the thing. He was a sinner that needed to be saved. And so when you see someone come to know the Lord Jesus, there's a soul winner that's active in sharing the gospel. There's a sinner who needs to be saved. And then thanks be to God, number three, there's always the Spirit. God's Holy Spirit is involved any time any person comes to faith in Jesus. Verse 29 says that the Spirit says to Philip, I want you to go over and join yourself to this chariot. 
And look at the first part of verse 30. I love this. The Bible says in the King James Bible, and Philip ran thither. In other words, Philip ran over there to him. I read that, and here's one thing I know about Philip. He must not have been a Baptist. Because the opportunity was presented, and he ran. You know, I, listen, I'm a Baptist from my radiator to my tailpipe and all in between. That's what I am. But you know, sometimes, folks, we Baptists need to get self and planning and big ideas out of the way. And when God gives us an opportunity to do something for Him, we just need to run to it and do it. And just rely on Him as He works out the details. Now, I'm all for planning, I'm all for strategy and all of those things. But every now and then, God shows you an opportunity, and instead of praying about it, instead of planning through it, we just need to go do it. We don't have to pray about whether or not God wants us to lead people to faith in Jesus. We don't have to pray about things that God has already shown us obviously that are a part of His will for the church on earth. Well, the Spirit of God gets hold of Philip and says, you need to go talk to this man. And the Bible says that Philip ran to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I believe that every word in the Word of God is there for reason. I believe all of them. And so I think it's significant when we read about this story of salvation that we see when God wants us to go and share and bear the gospel, we ought not think about it. We ought to just run to it. And that's what's happening as the Spirit is moving. You see, the Spirit's not just moving in Philip, but obviously the Spirit is moving in the heart of this Ethiopian eunuch. When someone comes to faith, there's the soul winner that needs saved, there's the, or the soul winner that's sharing the gospel, the sinner that needs saved, there's the spirit that's operating, and then we're also thankful that there are the scriptures. He's sitting there, and he's reading Isaiah the prophet, doesn't understand what he's reading. Philip asks him in verse 30, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand this? In verse 31, he says, well, how can I understand this unless someone guides me? And let me tell you, there are people all over Rockcastle County, Kentucky tonight that need a guide. They need somebody to come into their life and explain to them about this Jesus Christ that can make a beautiful picture out of the mess that's currently their lives. So the eunuch invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He was reading out of Isaiah, beautiful passage of Scripture. Some Old Testament scholars call it the Mount Everest of Old Testament prophecy. He reads about this sheep that's led to the slaughter, and like a lamb that's dumb before its shearer, it doesn't open his mouth. In his humiliation, justice is denied him. Who can describe his generation? His life is taken from the earth. Well, he was reading a beautiful passage of Scripture where Isaiah was looking across 
all these decades of time to that moment where Jesus Christ would be the sin offering for the remission of the sins of the world. And so, in this picture of salvation, as the Ethiopian eunuch begins to explain to him the Scriptures, what we see next is the Savior. Notice what Philip does. The eunuch asks him, Now, who does the prophet say this about? Is it about himself? Or is it about some other man? And then the Bible says that Philip begins to tell him the good news. He begins to preach to him about who? Jesus. He preaches the good news of Jesus. Aren't we thankful tonight that Jesus saves? And the same Jesus that saved this Ethiopian eunuch all those years ago is the same Jesus that continues to save tonight. And so Philip, he just shares with him about Jesus. He explains that Isaiah the prophet is looking to the Messiah who would come and bear our sins on the cross. When someone comes to know the Lord Jesus, there's the Scripture that we rely on, there's the Savior who saves, and then there's this beautiful moment of salvation. The Ethiopian eunuch asks him, obviously in the conversation, Philip had talked to him about giving his life to Jesus and then being obedient in baptism. And then the eunuch sees this water out there ahead and asks if they could stop and have his baptism. Obviously, he knew Jesus and wanted to be baptized. And verse 37 says that Philip told me, if you believe with all of your heart, then you may. And notice his profession of faith. The Bible says that he cries out and he says, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. At that very moment, the Ethiopian eunuch experiences God's changing grace and he's saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. When someone comes to know Jesus, the Savior is there waiting to save. Salvation comes. And then number seven, there's the submission. The Bible says in verse 38 that He commanded the chariot to stand still. They went down in the water and Philip baptized that day the Ethiopian eunuch. I won't say much about it because a few weeks ago we talked about baptism in one of our Sunday night services. But let me just tell you this. I believe that anyone who submits their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ will find no problem to submitting themselves to that first act of obedience and being baptized. The Ethiopian eunuch was baptized there that day. That's where the Baptist thing gets into the picture, amen. He's baptized. He's saved. He submits himself to baptism. And then look at this last little bit of the snapshot that we see. Not only is there salvation and submission But last of all, number eight, there is satisfaction. He leaves satisfied. The Bible says in verse 39 that when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. That's a beautiful picture too. He's raptured away. He's just caught up 
and God takes him to a new place of service. But what about this Ethiopian eunuch that was just saved? The Bible says, latter part of verse 39, the eunuch saw him no more, but went on his way doing what, church? Rejoicing. That's what happens when someone comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ. They're saved, they submit to Him, and that's always followed by satisfaction. Let me ask you, when you came to know the Lord Jesus Christ, were you satisfied? St. Augustine years ago used to explain it like this. He said, there's a hole in the heart of every man, woman, boy, and girl that cannot be filled with anything but Jesus. Let me just tell you tonight, do you know why there's a drug and an alcohol epidemic in our communities today? Because people are looking for some type of satisfaction and they'll never find it outside of Jesus. You know why there's, there's so much rampant immorality around us today? Again, it's because people are looking for something. If I can just get a hold of something to satisfy this hole, this craving that's in my heart, then I'll be made well. And what they find out is Satan offers all kinds of things. And they try and they try and they try to pack that hole, but they won't be satisfied until they come to know Jesus Christ. I'm just saying, you let a sinner come to Jesus and get to know Him and fully accept Him and submit themselves to Him, I promise you, Jesus satisfies. He always does. And He always will. When somebody comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, there's always a soul winner involved. Obviously, there's a sinner that needs to be saved. The Spirit and the Scriptures that are operating together, the Savior, Jesus, that stands there ready to save, the salvation that comes down when God gives His grace, the submission and the satisfaction. Aren't you thankful, church, that all of these things completely happened in your heart and in your life, that moment that morning, that afternoon, that evening, whatever it was, when Jesus Christ reached down and saved you. The good news is, He still does it. And we need to be like Philip. We need to be those who go out and share. Would you stand with me tonight bow your heads? We're going to sing together a hymn of invitation. Maybe you're here tonight and you realize that like the Ethiopian eunuch, You need Jesus, but you've never expressed your faith in Him. Tonight you can come and be saved. Perhaps you're here tonight, Christian friend, and you realize that you need to be more like Philip. That's where you see yourself in this snapshot. You need to be like a Philip that will go and share wherever God leads to whomever God calls you to share. Maybe there are those of us that need to deepen our commitments to be soul winners. But I tell you this, 
We all need to leave tonight being just like that Ethiopian eunuch. We need to leave rejoicing because Jesus saves. Lord, thank you for our moments together. And Father, I pray for anyone who needs to come tonight to respond to your word in whatever way they need to respond, for salvation, for rededication, for church membership, to commit themselves to being more like Philip, being the soul winner you want us to be. Lord, whatever it is, help our answer to you when you call always be, yes, Lord, here am I. I'm your servant. I'll do what you ask me to do. I pray and I ask it in Jesus' name. And amen. If